Good afternoon, New York, and the rest of our listeners around the globe. My name is June Stoyer, and I'm the host of the Organic View Radio Show. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Zoom, and you can also visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. If you'd like to be on the show or would like to find out about sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at questions at theorganicview.com. Today's show is sponsored by Eden Foods, the most trusted name in certified organic clean food. When you shop online at EdenFoods.com, enter the coupon code ORGVIEW to receive 20% off any regularly priced items, excluding cases. For other promotional offers, please visit TheOrganicView.com's website. And don't forget to check out our contest section. Recently, a lawsuit was filed by the Center for Food Safety against EPA regarding issues concerning pesticide-coated seeds. We had the opportunity to speak to Amy Van Son from the Center for Food Safety about the finer points of the lawsuit. On today's show, commercial migratory beekeeper Jeff Anderson is going to discuss how pesticide-coated seeds impact honeybees. So I'd like to welcome to the show, first, my co-host, Colorado beekeeper, Mr. Tom Theobald. Hello, Tom. Hello, June. We've dived into winter. It was 11 above zero this morning. Thanks, Tom. And our guest today, Jeff Anderson. Welcome back, Jeff. Good morning. Well, I guess it's good noon to you in, in the East Coast, and uh, I'm glad to be able to visit with you today. Jeff, before we begin, can you take a moment and share with our listeners a little bit about your beekeeping operation? Yeah, uh, I run a commercial migratory beekeeping operation, California-Minnesota Honey Farms. Uh, we bring our bees to California in, in the uh, winter-slash-spring months to pollinate uh, primarily almonds, uh, some cherries, apples, and blueberries, and then we take them to Minnesota during the summer months for honey production, and then uh, that's our yearly cycle. Jeff, I have an opening question, and, and I think a lot of the listeners would like to have an, a little explanation of this. The neonicotinoids have been used for a number of years as seed treatments, and the suit was filed in January by several beekeepers and several large farmers. And the question is, what brought you to this point, and and how have you been able to file this suit? Well, that's a fairly interesting question, Tom, because systemic seed treatments have kind of come into vogue, in, at least in my area in Minnesota in the mid-2000s. And if you're familiar with the term colony collapse disorder, that kind of showed up on the, uh, in the beekeeping industry about the same time. And uh, about 2003, I think, is when they registered uh, clothiodin and, and then subsequently thiamethoxin for use as seed treatments. And it took a year or two for those to come into uh actually uh, very widespread use up in our area. And so what what I noticed with the, uh, with the seed treatments initially was not much. Several years after they registered these pesticides for use on systemic seed treatments, uh, we started noticing uh, abnormal bee mortality in the spring and summer during the, and uh, along with that, we noticed a significant loss of queens that seemed to correlate with this. And the other thing that was of interest here is that uh, these were registered initially in the fall of 2003, and it took several years for the uh, farmers to uh, take hold of this new technology. And uh, if you re will recall, uh, uh, bee mortality uh, seemed to spike about that same period of time 
they uh, actually coined the the researchers actually coined the term colony collapse disorder in the uh, late fall of 2005 slash spring of 2006. And uh, beekeepers across the country prior to that time hadn't had a lot of abnormal bee mortality. And since that point, it seems like it's become harder and harder to keep healthy colonies. I took a look at what had actually changed in, in you know, if I'd changed anything in my management style or, or what had changed. And the only thing that, that I could identify was the fact that um, they were using pesticides differently. And, you know, that's what kind of first raised uh, my attention to this issue. Um, I had another question, Jeff, and uh, we had a fascinating interview two weeks ago with uh, Scottish beekeeper Graham White, and he talked about the dose-time response, about how the neonicotinoids affect the synapses irreversibly and the effect is cumulative. And first, I'd like to just make a comment on the uh, colony collapse disorder. The researchers didn't come up with the word disorder. It was the chemical companies that impose disorder into this discussion. And this is not a disorder. It's a symptom. But aside from that, we talk about the sublethal effects, and there can be acute kills, and corn dust-off is the most obvious of those, but we've talked about sublethal effects, uh, low-level effects, chronic effects. These really aren't sublethal. It would be better to call them pre-lethal because of the dose-time response. If enough time is added, the end point is the same, and that's the death of the bee and the death of the colonies. And I think that's what we're seeing here. Here in Colorado, we're seeing a very dramatic fall collapse, and I believe that's primarily as the result of the neonicotinoids. Have you seen this in your operation? You have a much larger sample size than we do. What what are you seeing? Well, I think you pretty well described it, Tom, is, is that that is exactly what we see uh, in the spring of the year. I do, uh, depending, we've, I've actually changed my timing of, of arriving in Minnesota from California because of the acute kill that seems to correspond with planting season. And uh, so uh, I've actually uh, bring bees back to the Midwest a little bit later later in the season to try and uh, avoid that exposure, but uh, the problem is that these these pesticides do not stay on target. The the coating is uh, adhered to the seed, and the theory is that it's planted in the ground and then uh, absorbed into the soil, and the uh, root system picks it up and then it kills the sucking and chewing insects. And like for instance on corn, it would uh, kill the rootworm and and some of the other chewing insects as that, that plant emerges, which is partly why we uh, filed this suit, because um, EPA is registered or, or is allowing the use of these pesticides, let me say it that way, um, under this coded or treated article exemption. And uh, if you recall your conversation with our attorney, Amy, um, uh, the actual target is not the seed itself. That's not what the pesticide is intended to protect. You know, the, the 
pesticide is the seed is actually used like an application device for lack of lack of a better way to describe it and it 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 applies the uh, insecticide uh the intent is to apply it in the soil but we found out that uh it does braid off the seeds it causes acute kill and it and it gets out into much broader into the environment than than they originally expected it to because you can detect it in bordering um uh dandelions and willows and 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 other things off of the actual field itself the uh one of the things that we learned in the conversation with Amy was that the EPA is not defending uh, their practice in fact they don't they claim that this is not a pesticide application and that's what justifies its exclusion one of the interveners however crop life has claimed that it's a safer application so we have one group claiming that it isn't an application and another group claiming it is an application and it's safer this is a this is a very confusing situation and uh where do the beekeepers stand on this matter? I mean, obviously you filed the suit, but well, uh, I'm going to take the, this conversation in just a slightly different direction because part of what makes this complicated is that um, there's been a change in the way our pesticide regulators look at uh, a quote-unquote incident. If the you know, pesticide is applied and a person gets sick or or in this case, honeybees die. Uh, the the old standard used to be to identify, you know, try and correlate the pesticide and the you know the exposure to the to the result. And but what's happened here recently, and and part of uh, what was talked about in in the previous program is that in 2013 EPA chose to make an addendum to the for inspection manual there's only one and and it's for honeybees and in that they they indicated that uh, EPA did not consider uh, the use of uh, insecticides on the seeds as a pesticide application and what that means with the way that regulators the the field investigators are looking at this now they look at the label and determine if the label has been violated. And if the label has not been violated, they de- they declare that there's been no incident. And it, and it gets to be kind of a catch-22 situation. So I have a bee kill that's associated with uh, uh, corn dust off. Um, I call up the state pesticide investigator. And um, in Minnesota, the pesticide team is very prompt and usually within 24 hours they will have a pesticide investigator come out to the site and and look to see uh you know assess the damage and and determine if there was a violation whether somebody needed to uh, have a citation issued or whatever but because epa has told the uh, investigators that this is not considered a pesticide application uh they will not look at it um and actually uh, create an incident uh, report out of that or cite, uh, cite anybody because in, in their uh, way of thinking, uh, nobody's violated any laws, and so therefore there is no incident. Well, and so 
this this is the reason that I chose to get into this suit was because we have to start from from the ground here and actually get EPA to declare that this is actually an application of pesticide, or we can't even talk about the 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 corresponding uh, death of honeybees because nobody will listen. Why do you think the EPA has taken this position to exclude this massive environmental poisoning and make all these efforts to exclude any consideration of these pesticide kills? I try to stay away from conspiracy theory thing here, and I don't even think this is a conspiracy. I think it's a, a blatant uh, effort here. Uh, the chemical industry has, has bought the, the best government money can buy. And, and to some extent, that includes our EPA, the, the agency that is supposed to regulate them. And, and what appears is happening here, and, and the way this whole suit is breaking down uh, kind of leads uh, one to believe that this is the truth, and that is that uh, uh, this is about dollars and cents and big corporations. This is not about environmental sanity here. And uh, EPA is kind of in the position uh, well they are in the position because a lot of good portion of their income is is based on the number of pesticides that they that they register for use it's based on a registration fee and so the more pesticides they register and put in our environment the the more more dollars they have for coffee break and and uh you know so uh unless and there are good very good people inside epa but i'm just saying as an agency I think dollars and cents have gotten away of of common sense here. Jeff, at this particular point, the majority of the seeds that are used in agriculture are pre-treated seeds. So, since that is that has now become the norm, is there really any way that beekeepers such as yourself can navigate around this, especially knowing that? knowing what the impact of the neonicotinoids are as far as their impact on honeybees. As a commercial beekeeper, it, it makes it almost impossible because uh, the, the area that is most productive for pollinators, i.e., in this case, my managed honeybees, uh, is also the same land that is also most productive for agriculture. And so historically, uh, managed honeybees have, have coexisted with agriculture. And, uh, you know, a lot of the land mass, that, other land mass that's not heavily used in agriculture is not really suitable uh, for honeybees. And so we really don't have a way to escape. I mean, there there are a few bee operations that uh, can go into areas that utilize these pesticides a little less but what we really need to look at is whether or not we even need to utilize these pesticides there's a lot of testing and scientific knowledge that's uh, coming out that's showing that it's doing much broader damage to the ecosystem than just honeybees and that's partly why we have several farmers involved in this is they've realized that uh, the neonicotinoids were actually destroying their soil health and and have subsequently quit using them, but but have found that it's very difficult to uh, buy productive seeds uh, that are not coated. And a lot of these mergers that are going on right now are, are being talked about 
between companies like Bayer and Monsanto or DuPont and, and Dow or Syngenta and ChemChina are all about vertically integrating companies to put a, a further chokehold on the seeds that uh, the farmers avail or that are readily available for the farmer to buy. And so, you know, as a society, I think we need to take a, uh, a, a look at whether we want that to happen. And I, and I know there's some, you know, it's way off topic, but uh, uh, that is something that definitely ties into the issues around the coated seeds. So, in essence, it's going to make it even more difficult to buy clean food. Yes. Because, I mean, it's not that farmers don't want to raise uh, food, you know, with without the use of these pesticides. It's just that the chemical manufacturers and the seed producers you know, are starting to get in collaboration with each other, and it's getting more difficult to do that. Which is, which in turn is contaminating the soil, especially knowing that some of these pesticides have a half-life of up to 19 years. So it's not like the pesticide is just going to dissipate in the sun. It's going to be in that soil for a long time, especially since they are mobile in groundwater. One of the responses to these issues, Jeff, has been label changes. Could you speak to that just a bit? Well, it, it's interesting, and this kind of plays into why uh, EPA's position is really pretty tenuous and why they're trying to, in my opinion, beat us on technicalities, not substance. Uh, uh, the label, it's interesting, uh, EPA approves these pesticides for use as a seed coating, and so therefore there is an actual label that that uh, the chemical manufacturer has uh, submitted to EPA and EPA has approved. And what's interesting about these labels is uh, there actually is an environmental hazard statement on on uh, uh, iodine, for instance, for use on seed treatment on, I'll just say corn, because they use it on lots of other things. But just as, a, as an example, and there'll be an envi- there is an environmental hazard statement that the chemical manufacturer submitted to EPA, which they approved, that has a bee hazard on it. And what's really interesting about that is these seeds are treated in an enclosed warehouse, and in a, in there's no possibility of exposure to honeybees inside that warehouse, but yet they have the hazard statement on there that says it's highly toxic to bees. And, and it actually, one of them actually says that it's uh, known to translocate up through the plant and become available later in the pollen and the nectar. And, and in my opinion, the chem industry, basically by submitting a label like that to EPA, put EPA on notice of exactly what they intended this pesticide to use. And EPA chose to ignore that and say that the whole intent was to protect the seed and and therefore, they would allow this exemption where it's not considered a pesticide application, and so therefore, we don't track it. And therefore, uh, like I said uh, a few minutes ago, uh, field investigators won't look at a bee kill and call it an incident because there's no labeling on the corn bag itself that indicates that it's toxic to bees. 
it's very clever how they're finding new ways to sell product. Tom actually sent me something from um, a newspaper promotion that I don't even know when this this was promoted, but it's for a product that basically uses DDT in children's wallpaper, or children's room wallpaper. Yeah, it, it's just fascinating how many different ways they try to sell these products so that you're exposed to it, whether it's something that has to do with agriculture or not. And, I, you know, what we're talking about is evident that industry is desperate. They're trying to find any way that they can to keep these most toxic chemicals on the market. I couldn't agree more because, uh, you know, I mean, the the interesting thing, you mentioned the, the DDT and the, the wallpaper, but they utilize these same uh, neonic pesticides even in things like paint. Uh, you can buy treated paint. In fact, it's recommended for use in places like schools and food facilities because the idea is that, you know, if a fly lands on the paint and stays there for a matter of a few seconds, they pick up enough toxin and it kills them and therefore the facility is cleaner. And, you know, I'm sorry, maybe the fly is healthier. Yeah, we, we breathe the same air that the flies do and we drink the same water that the honeybees do, and that includes the folks who work for these agro-criminal companies. But what, what's interesting, I mean, what's different about the two scenarios, though, is, is like paint or, or perhaps lumber. They use, you know, they utilize things like imidacloprid and, and lumber, which is another cousin product. It's also a neonic. Uh, but the issue is that the lumber itself is what is protected by that product. You know, something has to, a, a termite or an ant would come and chew on the lumber and then they would die. What's what's significantly different and why we feel that, that it's inappropriate for EPA to do this, the treated article exemption on seeds, is the intent is not to protect the seed. The intent is to protect plants in the environment, which is a whole different issue. If the pesticide was to protect the seed until it was planted, then it would fit under the exemption. That's that's our premise, my premise. And and then the other part of that uh, that corresponds is the fact that because they're not calling it a pesticide application, that we don't track, we don't know exactly how much is actually utilized in the environment. We can estimate by how many uh, acres of uh, crop is planted and whatnot, but it's not tracked as a pesticide application. Jeff. I realize you don't have a crystal ball, and yet you do, as a large commercial beekeeper. If we don't bring an end to what appears to be a massive poisoning of the environment, what future do you, what do you think the future holds for beekeepers, both large and small? Well, at this point, we've been able to to survive astronomical losses by being able to pass that on to our specialty crop growers, but. Uh, there's a there's a point where almond growers, for instance, before we uh, started having mass mortality, were paying like fifty dollars to rent a hive of bees to to pollinate a half acre of almonds, and last year they paid two hundred dollars for the same hive of bees to rent a uh, uh, half acre of almonds. The what's interesting about that though is that the the hive strength that we have nowadays is nowhere near what it was in the past. And so uh, not only is it costing more, but they're getting less. 
And we're, we're at a point where uh, we need to turn this around because we physically can't recover. There's the, the bee industry is not able to, to produce the number of hives that request required here. Well, Jeff, I know that you're calling from the field, and I really do appreciate all of your time, especially to talk about these issues, as you have so many times throughout the year. If it weren't for people like yourself who are taking the time to explain exactly what you're experiencing, many people wouldn't have any idea whatsoever. Mainstream media refuses to even acknowledge this decline that's occurring within the beekeeping community, and it's a question of food security at this point. They're doing nothing to protect our food. Well, you're right. And, you know, I'm I'm grateful that you have been bringing these issues to light, June. I thank you for doing that. And and uh, you're right. We, we need uh, the public to become aware of this. We need a sea change. We need the public to vote with their checkbook, buy products that don't utilize these products, which will create a market shift, and maybe we can straighten this out. I just want to thank Jeff for his continued, continuing efforts to educate people and to hang on as a beekeeper. It's been very difficult for all of us, and we have to bring some changes to this situation. Folks, thank you so much for tuning in. Please tune in next week as Tom and I continue the discussion. Thank you for tuning in. This has been June Stoyer with the Organic View Radio Show. Have a great afternoon.